Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. We are located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive. We're in the Town Bank Building, and we're also in the village of Whitefish Bay, and there we're in the Equitable Bank Building, directly across from Winkies. And we're now able to serve our clients in Bonita Springs, which, of course, with the winter makes it all seem just right. <laughs> My guest today is Kabi Sharif, and she is an attorney. She is a partner with Bloomfeld and Sharif and located in Mequon, Wisconsin. And I will say Kabi is also a very dear girlfriend (laughs) and indeed has, we've grown a relationship over so many years and it really started with um, her educating me about the importance of trademarking. Well, and your vision about what you wanted your company to stand for and how trademarks in your intellectual property could help you do that. Yes, and I I really um, remember that I had been at a meeting, a, a group that I'm part of, um, and we were talking about all the things that we needed to do for our companies, and I said, well, I just heard that we really should be trademarking, and they said, this is another one of those, are you crazy? <laughs> You don't need to, we're a financial firm and you don't need to do trademarking and um, it's way too expensive and there's no point in it. And uh, I remember coming back and calling you and we went and talked and I said, help me to understand this because I really did have a vision that I wanted to stand for something more and I wanted to be able to walk my talk and be able to... um, protected in in some way. And I think the very first campaign that I came out with was, before we invest, we listen. And I remember somebody calling me from the East Coast who had seen it and said, would you mind if we use that? And I thought, oh, you know, that would be okay. They're in the East Coast. And I thought, maybe I should call (laughs) Kabi. And the answer was no, 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 for a variety of reasons you don't want to have somebody use your mark. And so maybe we can just start out today just by talking basically what trademarking is and give an overview for our listeners. And then um, this is really a second part to another show that we did and really demonstrating some examples. Sure. I thought it might be fun to talk about um, some trademark stories and problems that clients come in with and ways that we can, there's many issues that we can avoid. If, if clients are prepared and have done their homework, there's issues that are fully avoidable. Um, in your case, you had a vision. You had an understanding of the messaging you wanted to send to the public. So it, for you, I have you under my section called Great Trademarks because the issue is it's not just that you should have a trademark which is distinct and which is not likely to cause confusion and something which is unique to you. In your case, the messaging had to be absolutely authentic and it had to send the message to your potential clients as to who you are and what you stand for. And to build on and to make a group of those messages. So as you were saying, um, before we advise, um, and your messaging was, we hear you. We want to listen to you. We will plan. We will talk to you. So there was a series of federal trademark registrations, which are before, before we advise, we plan. Before we advise, we listen. Before we, and so on. Um, And that was who you are. And so each of those messages 
has synergy with the other. And when consumers hear that, they begin to understand something about you. And that so that the function of the trademark is not only to recognize who you are at Ellen Becker Investments at EIG, but also that that phrase is associated with you particularly and not with other people. Mm -hmm. And the advantage of federal registration in that context is that once a mark is registered for particular goods and services, it's yours. It's yours for those purposes. And as long as you continue to use it and support it and don't, as you were tempted to do because you're a lovely person, <laughs> don't let other people use it. In other words, there's a doctrine in, in trademarks called acquiescence. If you knowingly or otherwise let somebody else use your trademark and for services which are not yours, you run the very real risk that you lose your rights in that trademark. So part of ownership is to make sure that you use it exclusively and you monitor third parties. So talk about um, the difference between patents and trademarks. I think people get that copyrights, they get that mixed up. It's, it is confusing. Um, and and it's also, there's also an overlap with domain names and trade names, and that creates a whole host of problems. For example, people come in and they've adopted the URL. They've done the search. They've found out for $3.99 they can adopt blankety-blank-abccompany.com. And they think that because that was available, that URL, that internet address was available, that the trademark is available and that they are free to use it. The URL is just a series of alphanumeric um, internet addresses. It's an electronic address. It's an IP address. It's not, because it's available, doesn't mean that the underlying trademark is available. So for example, if you were to register abc.org.com um, uh, and there is a federal registration for ABC company, even though the URL was available, you're still a trademark infringer if it's there for overlapping services. So that's one category. The other category is um, you register in the state of Wisconsin with DFI, the Department of Financial Institutions, and you register um, either as a, an entity type or as a trade name. So people confuse that with trademark registration. And again, one is, one is, about, is based on is it available, and the other is a likelihood of confusion substantive group of rights. They're very different. In order to be, to be protected substantively, you have to do a federal trademark registration or rely on your common law rights, but those are local. Generally. So a company could have a variety of these different things. Oh, yeah, and, Within, and typically do. Yeah. And lastly, what about international? I mean, we hear so much about oh, international. Well, this, this, is a, this causes a whole wealth of, pro of, of <clears throat> problems. Client came in to see us recently. They um, were launching in actually China, and they were very excited. They had a local agent because that's how you do business in China, and they had a local agent who had acquired the URL, the dot, um, the dot .cn, um, and the had 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 applied for trademark registration and had everything was going along beautifully and a year went by and the relationship soured as these things sometimes do and the problem was is that the local agent had applied for trademark registration and the URL in his own name 
So now the person oh. is no longer associated with the trademark owner. And how do you get it back? Because it's gone now. It's in their name. You're not in your name. In this case, we spent four years getting it back for the name of the company, both as a trademark registration and as a domain name. It was a nightmare. So there should be advanced planning. So if you think that your business is likely to expand into, often it's the first launch is, is, um, is uh, North America. So if you think your company is going to be selling your widgets into Canada right away, apply for trademark registration in Canada because you can't get it later if it's not available. Mm -hmm. So there has to be some thinking about what your market footprint is either is or will be and, and apply accordingly. If you're going to have a worldwide shipping, if you're going to ship truly around the world, then there are ways to protect your trademark all around the world. There, if you own a registration in the United States, that doesn't give you protection necessarily in other countries. It's a country by country or treaty by treaty registration system. And I remember you saying that also trademarking really does give an indication to other people, um, your clients or whoever, that you really are serious about this. Absolutely. Um, because it's all, it's all public. Um, everything that we file is public and searchable. So when companies look at other companies to see who they are, part of the value of the company is to see, do they have intellectual property? Do they have federal trademark registrations? Are they protecting them? And also when potential competitors are thinking about coming perhaps close to your mark, if they see that you're savvy about your intellectual property and that you've registered, they'll likely cut you a wider berth because mm -hmm. they get it that you get it. How does someone know that they need trademarking or any of that? I mean, they start, you know, when people start businesses or they have ideas, money's short and ideas and they're working really hard. At what point do they need, really need to take that seriously? And I'm guessing it's right in the beginning. Well, that's what I was going to tell you. I was going to tell you, this is a recent story. Client comes into the office and he's very, very upset. He and his partner were on the edge of launch. They had a deal with a marketing firm. The marketing firm was preparing their website and preparing all sorts of collateral materials, advertising and the like. And they had a falling out, an absolute falling out. So the, one of the other partners left and took the material with him. Well, this is the worst kind of nightmare. They hadn't set up an entity. So they, who owns it? Does, which of the partners owns it? There was no company that owned it. And there was no copyright assignment agreement between the marketing firm and either of the partners. So when this all blew up, in the absence of a written transfer, the marketing firm owned all of it. So it was just a nightmare. It was the worst kind of nightmare. They had a great idea, and it was a wonderful thing. But they really needed to have come in and done some homework in advance of all of this. My guest today is Attorney Kabi Sharif. Her office is in Glen Oaks Lane in Mequon, and I will get grab a pencil, and I'll give you the phone number a little bit later, but you can always get her through me. <laughs> That's always very easy. We're going to take a break. When we come back, let's, let's look at some more of the stories and things that have happened when people haven't had trademarking, and with that, we'll be right back. 
welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. My guest today is attorney Kavi Sharif, and her phone number is 262-241-3400, and she is located in Mequon, and literally, I will tell you, she is a phone call away. And um, I have talked to so many of my friends and, and different people who have come up with ideas, and I'll say you really need to think about, you know, trademarking it, getting some advice on that. And a lot of people don't really know about it. And that's why some of these issues come up. Um, and, and you think people do, but it isn't the first thing that pops up. No, people are, people are typically so excited about their idea. And that's a beautiful place to start. Yes. Because they've got something they're really excited, a product they want to introduce, an idea, different services. But before they start, before you launch and you introduce your website or you put it up on whichever site to sell, you need to go back and you need to be incorporated as an entity or decide that you're going to be an LLC, some, some corporate form. You have to, it's always a good idea to buy insurance, set up your own bank account, do things to, to act like an entity. Because if you don't act like an entity in the event that there's a problem, your personal assets are exposed. So it's so important to take a deep breath and do the backstory first. Get the entity set up. Be clear about who owns the intellectual property. Get the entity going. And then think about, okay, you've got a great idea. Marketing stuff. That's a fabulous idea. Make sure that the marketing company agrees that what they do for you is yours. I, You know, it's really funny because when I started my company, I remember walking around my office and I had two computers and I had whatever, you know, just starting. And then as we grew and I walk and say, wow, do I own all these computers? <laughs> wow. And then, you know, and I look, you, we were just talking to you, gave me the list of our trademarks and I went, wow. And every one of them, it really almost makes me teary eyed because every one of them really, um, speaks to my heart and and speaks to who I am. And so I think we talk about leaving legacies. Um, this is, for me, I look at this because I haven't seen the whole list. I've got my little things on the wall. But this is also a legacy. It is. And it, it forms a culture. It forms yes. a corporate culture. It's not just that you're increasing the value to the company, which you certainly are. You're, without doubt, um, these, these, there's real value associated with that, but also you're establishing who the company is. In your case, your company is so much about hearing your clients and about doing the right thing and about being transparent. All of the messaging that you establish and that you call me about, and you say, Kavi, I have an idea. <laughs> um, the first thing I always say to you is we talk about it, and we yes. talk about how it'll be used, and then the next process that's involved is searching because it's important to make sure that there is no buddy in the financial services area who is using a designation which is confusingly similar because they can, first of all, it's, that's not how you do business. Mm -hmm. your, your, your template, your footprint in the universe here is your own. You're not trying to ride on anyone else's coattails. But also from a, from a legal point of view, from from my point of view, I can't, um, I, the, re, the opportunity to register a trademark is determined by whether or not there's likelihood of confusion with anything that's out there now. And that's based on how close other marks are, how close the services are. 
And sometimes we've gone for things and not certain, and they've come through. And other times you've come back and said, you know, that's too close to something else. We really can't use that. Right. And and we'll talk about it. And we'll talk Mm -hmm. about if it's too close, what is something that might have a similar kind of feeling, but that's not likely to cause confusion Mm -hmm. with somebody else that's out there. And you'll come back to me. And that's not always an immediate thing. Sometimes you work with your internal marketing folks and rethink it and come back with something that has equal import to you, but perhaps a different different wording that is available. When you, when you think about um, trademarking, and I know that we've talked about this too, that you are always aware of your clients and some of the infringements that are on them, and they do come up. They do. Um, there, there's, there's several kinds, um, several flavors. There's the ones that are totally unanticipatable. Um, there's a, as I said, there's, there's most of the time the world of trademarks is governed by likelihood of confusion, whether or not somebody in your field is using something similar. But there is a relatively recent doctrine called dilution, where it, it's the part of the world where I tell clients that they have to beware of giants. What I mean by that is that there are certain companies that are so big that they own that trademark for all purposes. So if you were to come up with Coca-Cola for investment services, even though your investment services has nothing to do with the Coca-Cola products, the Coca-Cola mark is so famous that you would be prohibited. So uh, that's an obvious Mm -hmm. example. But I had a craft brewer recently who was sued by Major League Baseball because their lettering had a similar loop, a curl to it. No kidding. Really? Really. And, and that's the kind of unanticipatable stuff that happens. Sometimes with dilution, those are hard claims to, to get in front of, and eventually they're worked out, but it, it, it does take time. The ones that, we can, that, I, that I'd prefer to worry about, because the ones that we can actually do something about, are ones where there is likelihood of confusion. So I try to position my clients in a way that they reduce the likelihood of those claims so that we do a really good search, so that we're aware of whatever the footprint is of other folks who are doing similar kinds of services that you are, and make sure that we're not, that we're not um, coming too close. On the other hand, part of maintaining a trademark is watching what your competitor's doing. Mm-hmm. You had a case recently yes. where, <laughs> you want to tell, you want to explain this? Sure, you can. <laughs> okay, um, uh, Karen called me to say, um, have you seen the billboard on a prominent um, at a prominent location? And sure enough, it looked startlingly like one of the Ellen Becker billboards. And the thing about it is, is that the Ellen Becker messaging, as I say, has continuity. There's synergy between groups of of, of trademarks between the the way these things look. When you're passing an Ellen Becker billboard, you know it. Even if you don't read the content, you know that that's going to be Karen's. Mm-hmm. Well, this this one looked remarkably similar <laughs> and had um, similar content. Yes. So we wrote um, a strongly worded letter to your competitor and asked them to stand down. And they said, no, no, it's different. And I said, don't mess with Karen. <laughs> True story. Um, and we negotiated a resolution. They took it down and agreed never to use it again. Yeah. 
You have to. And and I think that that's that's the whole purpose because you are really trying to. I oh you know I love the the saying um, Roger Ebert and the sea of similarities. Anything different is perceived as superior. And you are trying to. I am trying to set myself apart in the sea of similarities. In fact, we just did a billboard, didn't we? Yeah, and we <laughs> just did a, a federal application yep, for that. Yeah, we have a federal app on that one. And um, and so it says, in the sea of similarities, EIG stands out. And so we do want that feeling when we're when people look at our boards. It, like you say, it's consistent. And we don't want it to be messed up with other things that sound similar. And you don't want to acquiesce. You know, there's a difference between... Um, being a reasonable person and not being super aggressive, neither of which are necessary, and at the same time safeguarding your rights. And it's important um, that companies actually are aware of what their competitors doing. And I often recommend that rather than employ outside search services, that somebody in the company at trade shows and other sorts of public places like other people's websites look at what their competitors are doing. Mm -hmm. Make sure that they haven't come too close. Make sure that they haven't right-clicked on your advertising and put it on their website. Yes. Which happens. Yes. Which happens. Um, I had a case recently where on YouTube, there was somebody else's advertisement for a product, a competitor's product. And then at the end of the original YouTube video was my client's trademark. As if it was theirs. It was, so they tried to take the fame and goodwill of our client and slap it on other product, which is certainly wow. a problem. That's a big problem. A, a fun case recently, um, client contacted us because on eBay were counterfeit versions of their product. Counterfeit meaning that they didn't fit in, they was, these were expensive machine parts, didn't fit in the rest of the machine. So they were getting returns of inferior products which they hadn't sold. So the question is, what do you do? On eBay, it looks like it's, it's them. It does. And then and but it's hurting their goodwill. It's hurting their reputation yes. because their customers, or they think they're their customers, are returning inferior, poorly machined parts which don't fit. So they called me and they said, Well, what do we do? I said, Well, we do two things. The first thing is we it's a federal registration, this particular trademark. And since these things were stamped with a phony trademark and they were federally registered, again, another, another advantage of federal registration, you can actually go to eBay and have that taken down. But the more insidious problem was that we knew that this guy in Utah was selling fake parts. So we hired a trademark investigator, true story, <laughs> who went and did an undercover buy with a button cam of this guy selling these fake parts. So we had a video of him selling fake parts. We turned it over to the FBI. We had his entire operation shut down and we had him and we had all of his advertisements taken down from all of the local Utah electronic newspapers and other kind of swap ads. That's a, you know, that sounds like fun. <laughs> A little fun. I mean, it is, you know, and uh, to make it, well, they're telling me that we have to take a break. And uh, when we come back, let's look at some more reasons why why this is so important and just give some, some examples that people can really understand. And with that, we'll be right back. My guest today is Attorney Kabi Sharif. Welcome to 
Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellen Becker. My guest today is Kavi Sharif, and her phone number is 262-241-3400. And you are welcome um, at any time to give me a call. Uh, I don't need to give a reference because uh, not only is she um, our corporate attorney doing the doing the um, trademarks, but also through all of this, Kavi has become such a good friend. And what I love about it is that, and I know that I'm no different than anyone else, that you really take time to understand the business, you visit the business so that when someone is um, coming to you for trademarking, you're not just putting a stamp of a trademark on it, you're really helping them to determine how it works best. And these are the situations like you were talking about counterfeit and, and all of that. And when you know my personality, and you know how far I'll go and the recommendations you make and Again, it's that whole transparency is trust. Um, it works for everything. It really does. It's so important because trademarks are, in a way, your public face to the to consumers. And it has to represent or it should represent the integrity of your company. So in the case that we were talking about where there are counterfeits and they're inferior, so people are buying things that they think are the company's goods and they're expensive, and they're inferior, and they don't fit. They don't think, "Oh my goodness, I bought a I bought a counterfeit." They think, "Oh, this company is making lousy goods." So it's so terribly important to shut down the counterfeiters. And the purpose is not necessarily to try to get a lot of money because they just disappeared. The purpose is to make it clear to counterfeiters that you're the company who will chase them. You will not tolerate this kind of infringement, you won't tolerate the damage to their reputation, and you will chase it. So yes, I love I love the part of it where I get to know what the client's about. I love mm-hmm. going to the factory. I like sitting down with the decision makers in the company and hearing what they care about. Because that helps me to understand what the shape of their intellectual property should look like and how best to not only to have it reflect who they are, but to monetize it so that the trademarks can help sell the business of the company or help sell the products of the company. But you it's, don't know that unless you visit. And it's it's the face of the company. And having yeah. you have come back and said, oh, I don't know if I like the way that sounds. Let's work a little bit. And, and we'll talk about it because it really is the face of the company. So you want to make sure you're doing it right. And what you're putting out there is how you want people to see you. And what you and want that the them messaging to hear. is positive, exactly, yes. and, and suggests an attribute which is particular to you mm-hmm. that reflects who you are, and that's not just descriptive. So, when you're when you're thinking about a trademark, if you're thinking about something that's merely descriptive, so in, in, let's say you're thinking about an ice cream name and you call it uh, cool and creamy, well, that says what ice cream is, and no one's ever going to identify you as cool and creamy. And if you compare that to Karen's messaging, it's very distinct and it's not necessarily the messaging you would you would anticipate from a financial services company. It's not descriptive. It's the, the advisor you know, the advice you trust, the voice of EIG. I mean, that says a lot. It says that Karen is a familiar voice. She's someone who's careful and familiar and trustworthy. And so your messaging is not just, we make the best investments. It's more than that. It's getting to know your clients, 
the way you choose to and forming relationships. And I think that a lot of your messaging is, in fact, about relationships. Well, and I also think when you and I talked was that I've done this radio show for 22 years now and we've never sold a product and so i wasn't going to sell a product i wasn't going to talk about investments on a billboard it was about more so it was a continuation from something that we had that i had done for a long time to be real consistent right and that's what and that's how trademarks can really help you Mm -hmm. trademarks can send a message which is different than you might otherwise expect, and have consumers pay attention to you. And that can be a protectable asset for your company. And it's, and it's important to do that, to, and to do the homework that goes with that, as well as watching. And, and watching involves all sorts of things, not just in the areas that you might expect. Looking on Amazon, looking on eBay, social media sites. As, as a trademark owner, you should be aware of potential infringements and pay attention to them and not not look the other way because it's easier. So with trademarks, um, we've done them. We've done them in the sense for our billboards and in our um, our different um, forms of of I don't even say media we because we have used it with our media. I guess we've used it all across the board. Do people trademark things like a spaghetti sauce? <laughs> I mean, sure. you know, they, they leave and they say, I can make a better spaghetti sauce. Or I, I mean, what do people actually trademark? Well, that's and it's such an interesting <clears throat> question. This goes back to where we started with what's the difference between all these intellectual property um, disciplines. Um, trade, recipes don't, aren't subject to trademark protection and actually not subject to copyright protection. If you had a really cool name <clears throat> for the sauce, <laughs> that would be protectable. If you had a unique way of making the sauce, that would be potentially subject to patent protection. Um, if the label had all kinds of cool artwork on it, and that was original artwork, then it could be subject to copyright protection. So when a client comes to me, as I say, that's the fun, some, so much of the fun, a client comes to me with a potential product, it's not just looking at whether what the brand is, it's looking at the entire role of intellectual property in their business scheme and seeing which parts of this apply and how they should take care of themselves. So for someone who is an entrepreneur out there and has um, a product or has an idea, um, they really need to kind of start with you to figure out a lot of the pieces of the puzzle. Right. We always, I think that it's most helpful to actually start with a generalist, to have somebody, Mm -hmm. um, a business attorney, so that they've got their business ducks in a row, so that they're set up as a business, they've got the banking, the things that we talked about before, but then come see us. Mm -hmm. Come see us so that the ownership is clear, so that they can have a sense of direction. And it's not always that we decide regularly to jump in, but at least to have an idea of where of how the intellectual property fits into the business plan. It's a good idea to come, go see an intellectual property attorney, start to figure out how that piece of it is as important as the financial plan. It fits in. When you think of someone who has that idea out there and they've been doing it for a long time, never even really thought about it, that anybody would infringe on it, and all of a sudden they 
they realize that there is someone else doing something similar, is it too late? Depends. Sometimes, sometimes it mm-hmm. is. And um, then, do they have to take their stuff down? Well, it, I mean, um, that's, a, that's most, a tragedy. Oh well, yes. I mean, which speaks to follow your dreams and, <laughs> and don't keep them just inside. Um, much of intellectual property, if it's only in your head, if it was an idea that you had and you didn't write it down and it wasn't anywhere public, it's very hard to say that somebody else has infringed, because. Um, having it be tangible is the keystone for the copyright side. Um, first use is the ta- is the is the keystone on the trademark side. So yes, if it was just in your head and it didn't go anywhere, then potentially it's problematic. But which which again speaks to the fact that if you've got something, even if it's you're not ready for a national launch, at least start to visit with somebody about what the possibilities are. It doesn't have to be a million-dollar launch to get started. You can start in a small way. Mm-hmm. And when you have a trademark, it is in the U.S. It's everywhere. I mean, it, sometimes it really, um, I think, wow, this is crazy. Nobody in California can use what I've said. That's the beauty <laughs> I mean, of national really, registration. It's yeah. really powerful. It is. And, it's, and, again, that's the advantage of federal registration instead of just using it. Because if you own a federal registration, even if you are never doing business in California for regulatory or other reasons, you are protected nationally. And people across the country are charged with notice of your trademark, even if they aren't actually aware of it. My guest today is attorney Kavi Sharif, and she is located in Mequon. Her phone number is 262-241-3400. And if you um, have questions, I would just highly recommend that you give her a call. And uh, she can help you sort through where you're at and where you might want to be going. And with that, we'll be right back. attorney. My guest today is attorney Kavi Sharif and we have been talking about all kinds of things to do with with trademarks and um, copyrights and I know Kavi one of the things that you have said to me that um, I don't know how long when we did my first trademark is it 10 years ago ago when I started and of course we've we've Adam and you've said and I remember saying do do I just do this kind of once and get it out there and you had said no this is something that you grow with your company and it becomes part of your value of your company your intellectual property but it's important to always be looking at it and to always be growing with it and so not only to be adding brands but to go back and use what things that you've used before because the nature of humans is that is that it takes multiple exposures for the messaging to sink in. So you want to go back and reuse it. You want to make sure that your intellectual property continues to reflect who the company is. Companies change. People change. Um, in addition, there's other intellectual property issues as your company grows. You, you were talking about the number of computers. We had a case recently where the company had grown quite a bit. And it turned out that their software licenses, the things that run the computers, were only for 10 seats. And in fact, the company had now had 25 seats. The potential damages are huge. This is, you know, per infringement, hundreds of thousands of dollars wow. worth of potential liability. 
So it's very important to create a culture of compliance, not only for when you're looking at other people, but to make sure that your internal usage is respectful of the intellectual property rights of others, that your licensing is consistent with that which your use, that, that reflects your use as well. You know, there's so many things in business, and I think the most important thing is really developing partners that are really going to support you in your business, because I don't know if you remember, it was many, many years ago, but we had someone come in and do some design for us in our company, and it ended up that she left and she took it, it was all hers. We hadn't we had to go back and do all this negotiating to get all of these different things that we were working on um, to make them ours. And I didn't even know that that was possible. Well, I mean, I thought usually, if I'm paying her and she's usually, working for me, right, it's my on, stuff. But You would think so. And that goes back to the beginning, what we were talking about outside versus inside marketing folks. If someone's a full-time employee and they're doing work for you, it's yours. But there's very often a gray area. What if yes. someone's working part-time? Yeah, she was. She was, she was working part-time. I know. And working outside and they're an independent consultant, under those circumstances, typically the person who created it owns it. Yes. And you wouldn't think so because you've paid for it and your underlying assumption is that it's yours. And where this gets to be really a problem is let's say that you've agree you've bought a particular piece of artwork that's being used in a kind of media, let's say print, mm -hmm. and then you want to use it in, um, a, in a television spot. And the artist says, no, I, you only bought it for me for this purpose, not for that purpose. You don't want to be in that position. You want to make sure that when you're dealing with outside people, that you own the copyright for all circumstances. Same as photographs. Yes, exactly. It is the same thing. And um, using other people in photographs. and I mean, there's so many things that you really have to be conscientious about. And it's hard because often you're so busy and you've got people doing things for, your, for you and they don't know. And you find yourself in this situation and it's just a mess to unravel. It's much easier to be to do this on the front end. Recently, not so recently, you, somebody, um, your marketing folks asked me for a model release. You want to make sure that the models who who are in your photographs have are not going to seek additional compensation other than the than the original thing. Yes, you don't want to put yourself in that position. It is so much better to to think proactively than to try to fix it later on. So, Kabi, we only have a minute or so left. What would you like to say to our listeners? Appreci <laughs> I, I guess I'd like to, people to understand that, that um, intellectual property is a valuable asset and they should think about the intangibles of what they own, their ideas and how they are expressed and protect them. And uh, I just interrupted you there. <laughs> I'm sorry. But I think also when, when I look at it, it really does give me peace of mind knowing that, and, and I, you know, I, I'm not in the past thought about legacies, but when I look at the list that you gave me today, and I and I think that it really is a legacy. We work so hard for our companies, and we work so hard to put ourselves out there and to do the right thing, and it's just like estate planning, what you said. I mean, we put all of our ducks in a row. We also have to look at our businesses and make sure that everything is in place in the event that something happens to us. If it's all in our brain and we haven't put it down on paper, it makes it really hard for the people that are going to follow in our footsteps to know what to do. And so often I've heard people say that um, it was in the book, um, 
know your why. And they said that so often a, a, a company is formed and they did use Walmart and they used other places. And then the business owner leaves and the whole um, culture of the company changes. But when you have things like this, there's evidence of what that culture is. And it's almost a piece, a guiding light as to the people that may follow you. If I died tomorrow. Here it is. Here it is. The other piece of that is that you're very clear about who, that the entity owns all of this and that the entity has an existence separate from you and, yes. that, and that it has a life of its own. Yes. And that creates all sorts of security and avoids, it avoids succession problems and family problems and some of the stuff that can happen where ownership isn't clear. Yes. My guest today is Attorney Kavi Sharif. She is um, in Mequon. Her phone number is 262-241-3400. Thank you once again for being my guest. Such a pleasure, and Karen. Thank as you. As always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always, always listen. Have a really great weekend. Bye-bye. Your EIG Wealth Advisor can help you control risk, make sure your estate plan is in order, and help you understand your financial plan during retirement. But we can't control one of the largest drains on your portfolio during retirement. That's your health. For that, we'd like to share expert cooking tips and health wisdom from a local expert, Chef Michael Fecker. So stay tuned. Hello, my friend. This is your personal chef, Michael Fecker, and welcome to Food Sense. In the past two weeks, we have been talking about various techniques that would make your life easier or introduce a new technique to you that you may not be familiar with. I received an email the other day, and it was all about caramelization. This is the way the email went. Chef, you constantly talk about layering flavors, and in your conversation, you focus on a word called caramelization. I can kind of understand what it means, but can you go into details for me? So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about caramelization, a huge, huge way of making intense flavors and using the natural sugars within an ingredient to create those layers of sweetness and nuttiness for yourself. A very simple ingredient that you constantly hear about in all menus, caramelized onion. Let's walk through that, shall we? We slice the onion as thin as possible, not too thin that it doesn't have that much texture, of course. And through the introduction to heat, we allow the pores of the onion to open up and release its water content. While, it water con while the water content is released, that water content is going to turn into steam. That steam is going to help the onion release more water and cook through. But something magical is going to happen. That water is turning into steam, as I said. It's going to evaporate. But the natural sugar content in the onion is not. So what is going to happen to it? It's going to hit the surface of the pan once the water is completely gone and it's going to turn into caramel. You all love caramel. We love the candy called caramel, don't we? Because it is an intense, nutty flavor that you cannot achieve with anything else. Another ingredient that does that for you is carrots. 
There's a reason all meat sauces that are amazing and memorable, like my own that I love to death at the restaurant, uses carrots, onion, and celery. Again, a classic mirepoix or blend of vegetables. The carrot has a lot of sugar. The only vegetable that has more sugar content than carrots are sugar beets. So remember, carrots are a huge source of sweetness, but you got to cook that sugar content. Otherwise, the raw sugar content of carrot is very is not very pleasing. So I want you to try to caramelize them. If you want to achieve the caramelization process much faster than the amount of time that you and I usually take in caramelizing onion, then chop them much smaller. The smaller the surface cut of an ingredient, the faster it would release its water and the faster it would caramelize. We talked about onions. We talked about carrots. Now, something that is important for all of you to remember. Just because an ingredient doesn't taste sweet doesn't mean it doesn't have sugar and it will not caramelize. Oh, yes, it will. You will see sometimes you put cauliflower or you put, for example, Brussels sprouts in a pan with a little bit of bacon fat and it starts browning on you. That is what some caramelization going on. Until next week that we talk about another technique of cooking, I hope you use this caramelization technique. And remember, to caramelize, you need to be patient. Cook with love. Infuse your ingredients with love. You will have nothing but love to taste. That I assure you. I love you dearly. Think about me. And I'm always there for you as your personal chef via email, via a phone call to the restaurant, or just through ellenbecker.com or my own website. Talk to you next week. If you would like more of Chef Becker's recipes and food tips, go to ellenbecker.com and click under the resource tab.